One of the beautiful things that we get to share as a community is these moments where God has moved in the lives of us. And by us, I mean all of us. I think any moment where, where you and I get to see and perceive what, 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 what God is doing in the lives of one another is a moment where we get to celebrate what God is doing in, in us. And so I want to share a, a moment with you that happened a couple weeks ago um, at our high school camp. Uh, where two of our girls decided that they wanted to be baptized. We were over at Catalina, and that was a space for both of them that felt like this was the place where they wanted to um, express their faith. Um, But we caught it on video because we wanted them to express their faith with you all. So uh, for Jessica Powell and for Maddie Knott, um, two girls you're about to see in this video, would you just watch and enjoy what God's been doing in us? Yeah, um, I kind of really connected with this church uh, and especially at this camp with God. Like, I didn't really feel His presence and I've heard a lot of stories of people like, I felt His presence like, like He spoke to me. Um, and at this camp in like 7th or 8th grade, that's like when I actually really felt it. And I felt it like with people rather than just by myself. And then also, based on your relationship with Jesus, Maddie, why do you want to get baptized today? Um, I want to get baptized today because, first off, it just kind of feels right. Like, I feel like I'm in a right place in my life. I've been waiting and kind of, like, trying to force the right, like, the exact moment, like, where everything aligns. And I think there's, like, beauty in it not being right in a way. Like, there's not going to be a just perfect moment and that it's, like, in it itself is the perfect moment to do it. Um, and especially like this camp, I was putting pressure on myself. Like I need to feel it, like I need to be moved and all that stuff. But like even just through Keith's story um, and some things that I've heard from other people and the compassion that they shared, like I feel the spirit move for other people and into me. Um, Jessica's also a junior, and, um, you know, I love your story, Jessica, because you're like, well, you know, people at church sometimes get baptized in main stories. That sounds terrifying. Um, and my brother and my sister got baptized in the pool. I don't know. Thank you. Um, but I love that your story is that you want to get baptized here. So would you talk today uh, briefly about your faith in Jesus? So tell us about um, a little bit of your, of your story with Christ. Um, so I've grown up at Lake. My parents are super involved um, at this church, and so I've, just, I've been going to Lake my whole life. Um, and then around seventh grade, we or yeah, seventh grade, we went to Catalina, and I just like felt like, oh, this is when I want to get baptized. Um, and I didn't. So I was in seventh grade, didn't know what I was doing. And then I haven't got gotten baptized yet because it just has very very explained. Didn't feel right to do it at Lake or like my pool or anything. Um, so when I heard that we were coming back here, it felt like a really good opportunity at the perfect time. So. Awesome.
was, I was blessed to be out there with, um, with that team at that moment and just watching not only those kids but the others around them that were there to cheer them on and encourage them um, was a beautiful moment. Um, and in other moments like that, um, I think the, 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 the transition, the shift is that, okay, and now what, right? And now how to move forward and how to live out that baptism and how have you lived out your baptism? And, and, and as I have walked with people who have been baptized or said yes to Jesus, um, these are the words that I think are really important. Beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor to true devotion to Jesus is the service we do for him. It is easier to serve than to pour out our lives completely for him. The goal of the call of God is his satisfaction, not simply that we should do something for him. The question becomes, are we more devoted to service than we are to Jesus Christ himself? This is a quote from Oswald Chambers' uh, little-known book called My Upmost for His Highest. Since I read this quote, it's actually been something that I have have ingested and learned not only for my own self, but specifically for my ministry. The greatest competitor to true devotion is the service that we do for Jesus. If that's true, then my unscientific conclusion is that work is a close second. And that's quickly followed by the Dodgers and the Lakers and Hinge and hiking and long walks on the beach and club sports and you insert whatever is the thing that gets in the way for you. We have been one of the most productive countries in the world for years and years. That's a, that's a truth. Closely followed by Ireland. Right? Surprise. We are getting less and less sleep per night. In 2009, 20% of Americans were getting less than six hours of sleep, up from 12% in 1998. I know Ireland, right? It's a little crazy to me. Sales of melatonin, which is a sleep supplement, in the U.S. grew from $62 million in 2003 to $378 million in 2014, an increase of 500%. In 2020, sales of melatonin amount to approximately $821 million. The point is, we work hard. And I'm not saying that work particularly is bad. We have responsibilities that are important for us to fulfill. We work for ourselves. We work for our families. We work for our passions. There is a business that is just called We Work. And we work for God. But why? Let's take a look at our scripture this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This morning's passage comes out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
seventh gate, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Almighty God is not messing around. In seven days he creates the heavens and the earth, all that we can see, all that we know about, and some things that have gone extinct. God says, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. And how do I know it was good? We just sang about light. Thou burning sun. Thou silver moon. God's work is good. Not because we say it's good, but because God said it was good. So work is not the issue, but for what reason is God working? It strikes me that in the six days of creation that God's work is balanced. The first three days, God focuses on the ecology, the ecosystem that sustains life. In days four through six, God focuses on the creatures who, creatures who will live in the created ecology. Each new element of creation builds on another in service to the next, and we are blessed and proclaimed good. And at the end of the day six, God saw all that he had made and proclaimed it very good. God's work is good, so work for us is not the issue. But what reason is God working? The question for you and I becomes, is our work good? And for what reason are we working? God does good work but God does better rest. Here's what I was impressed by this past week as I got into this passage. It, it's that God takes each day and proclaims it good, except for the seventh, the rest day, the Sabbath. It's the day which God blesses and proclaims as holy. It's not just good, because it is that, it's holy. Rabbi Abraham Heschel makes this observation about holiness. He says, there's no reference in the record of creation to any object in space that is endowed with the quality of holiness. Now, Moses walks on holy ground, yet that ground went back to being not holy once all that whole thing was done. Nothing that is created is holy. Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. 
neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals, foreigner residing in, your, in towns, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Good and holy are very different. And if we are to keep and honor this rest and keep it holy as expressed in Exodus 20, we need to know what holy is. We sing about holiness. We teach about holiness in our small groups and classes. Yes, as I think back, I'm not sure I'm always conscious of what holiness is. I'm not sure I'm always conscious of how my body, how my life is living into holiness, or am I living into goodness, or am I living into just work? They can become words on a page. Sometimes I don't allow the holiness to influence my worship, my words, my work. It's like when we just sang Alleluia. Praise Yahweh that shortened. Yah, Alleluia. beginning of the breath, the name of God. And yet moments we can, we can allow those ideas to just become the Christianese, the, the stuff that sits in the back of our minds, the things that we say and mumble along the day because they make us feel good, but we don't step into their holiness. Holiness has the same enigmatic idea because of its usage. It's familiarity. It's accessibility. It's a beautiful four-letter word. But holiness for us today, this moment, and what I think is true, has three aspects. First, it is for us to set apart or separate. Donald Bloch, theologian, defines it this way. Holiness is separateness from all that is unclean. This is the most common meaning of holy. Holiness is not fundamental in anything or anyone but God. In all things, holiness is applied because of the presence of the one who is holy. Holy ground, holy mountain, etc., are holy because of God's presence. Separation or separate part is what we find in holy water or even communion. These elements, these moments are set apart for the extraordinary purpose for which they were created. Yet notice the application if we use these as examples of holiness, then we would expect God would have created holy places or, or holy things, right? So that we could go to these holy places and, and experience holy things, a mountain, a spring, a valley, or even a worship center or sanctuary. However, God blesses a day. 
God blesses time and declares it holy. God sets time apart. Our rest in God is holy time. Not a building or even a beautiful view. It's the time we spend with the Holy One in the building. It's the time we spend with the Holy One in appreciating a view. It's the time we spend with the Holy One in the gratefulness for that which God created good. It's the time spent resting in the presence of the One who created time for rest. When we set time apart, to focus on God's presence, we enter in to holy time. Second, holiness in, is inextricably connected to God's love. Holiness and God's love are absolutely connected. They're the ideals, as a matter of fact, they're the perfections that shape God's relationship with God's people. Holiness and love. Even more, love and holiness are the true nature of God. God is love. God is also holy. God holds holy in God's self. In Jesus' most true act of love is where God's holiness is realized. It's recognized in the cross and in specifically the resurrection of Jesus so that we might come to know God's holiness. Today is the 59th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Equality. You might know it better as the, the moment where Martin Luther King says his I have a dream speech. But reminder, it's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and sometimes we forget that he had some things to say theologically about our world. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King talks about holiness this way. So I say to you, seek God and discover him and make him a power in your life. Without him, all of our efforts turn to ashes and our sunrise into darkest nights. Without him, life is meaningless drama with the decisive scenes missing. But with him, we are able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. With him, we are able to rise from the midnight of desperation to the daybreak of joy. St. Augustine was right. We were made for God, and we will be restless until we find rest in him. Our restlessness comes because we forget that our response to love and holiness is surrender and obedience. You and I know this. You and I have, have come to understand when I surrender to the Lord and what God wants for me, when I obey what God wants for me, I step into that reality of what God has for me. But we don't like to think about it. 
especially as it relates to God that sometimes, because it seems out of reach, it seems out of touch. For me, to be able to connect to the love I was being given, it required me to surrender and obey. That's true of relationship with God, but that's also true of relationship with others. Remember, love God, love others. The love is the same either way. And so somehow, in order to engage the love that is in front of people, we have to be able to surrender to that love so that we might receive it and obey in loving so that we might give it. When we do not surrender and obey to that which God has laid out for us, we reject that which God wants for us and wants to give us, and we are unable to enjoy God. When we surrender and obey, we receive with all joy and inclusion the love and holiness God, which is the source of our comfort and fear and confidence, as well as our joy. Lastly, holiness stands arrayed against idolatry and injustice. In the creation story I noted earlier that God's creation is balanced. In the first three days, God focuses on ecology, the ecosystem that sustains life. In days four through six, God focuses on the creatures who will live within the created ecology. Yet as amazing as our world is, God is not defined by the world or the creation. You could say that God's identity is not in God's work. Your and my tendency, however, is to have our identity wrapped up in what we do and how we do it and who sees how we do what we do and who praises us for seeing how we do what we do when we do it and making sure that we see all the things that someone has when they do the thing that they're supposed to do. Holiness reminds us not to idolize our work. Holiness reminds us that your and my identity has absolutely nothing to do with what you can do and has everything to do with what God says you are. So who does God say you are? In the created order, we're very good. <laughs> Jesus calls us beloved. And in order to receive that belovedness, we have to surrender and obey. Our interaction with the physical ecology can make us thankful for what we have, and it, or it can make us greedy through idolatry. The world around us is a beautiful place. I often say, I don't, I don't know anybody who hates sunsets. 
If you do, please, I, I, I want to meet you because you'll become a story in a sermon one day. But it, I don't know anybody who does. I know plenty of people who hate sunrises, namely because they don't want to get up, but they think they're beautiful. See, our interaction with the, the ecological world can make us assent to what God has for us and say, wow, that is so good. That is so beyond what I, what I can ever imagine me doing. Wow, Lord, thank you for what you have done for us. The way that we interact with the ecological world and is, the, is, is just the beginning because the relational world is the thing that's supposed to push us to that as well. When you and I interact with each other, when we see Christ in one another, when we step into each other's world, we can contribute to our health by saying and seeking God in one another. That's fellowship. And we should be saying the same thing. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me because of what this interaction is about. We shouldn't be having this beautiful moment between two people that are so desperately different. God, thank you so much for creating this in our midst. Or we can be destructive to that reality through injustice. And as a note, injustice does not just refer to the treatment of the poor and the marginalized, the widow and the orphan. It is a statement against our intentions with each other. More concisely, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Celebrate God's creation and allow it to make you thankful. Lean into holiness and express your gratitude for the world uh, around you. And I think especially in this multi-ethnic, multicultural expression of God's kingdom, we get to do that over and over again if we would listen to each other and hear each other and praise God for the relationships he has given us. Professor Esau Macaulay out of Wheaton talks about it this way. He says, God's vision for his people is not for the elimination of ethnicity to form a colorblind uniformity of sanctified blandness. Instead, God sees the creation of a community of different cultures united by faith in his Son as a manifestation of the expansive nature of his grace. This expansiveness is unfulfilled unless the differences are seen and celebrated, not as an ends to themselves, but as particular manifestations of the power of the Spirit to bring forth the same holiness among different peoples and cultures for the glory of God. The Sabbath, then, has a direct impact on how we live in God's world as God's people. The Sabbath then, the seventh day, is holy because we have to understand who we are in the midst of that created order and what our responsibility is in walking in that created order in order to continue to point to God. The Sabbath is instituted in the commandments and intention to guard against idolatry and injustice. 
of lifting up the creation above the creator. Exodus 20 is so that God alone will be glorified and not you and I. Holy time is not just a gift to creation. It is the substance of how we relate to God, one another, and the world around us. Red light. You remember the game, right? Red light, green light. The game that we played a lot. I, I talk a lot about my uh, about the, the block that I grew up on, there was over 16 boys alone just within the two streets that we grew up on. And so and my house happened to be at the, at, the, at the apex of all of that. And so right in front of my house was the, was the softball and the baseball field as well as the football field that we're all playing in the street. Um, and, and then the fast pitch was just down the street a little bit. And when, at any point in time when I was growing up, I just had to walk outside and there was a game going on, including red light, green light. I love that game. I love that idea because it's this, this idea that the game happens because there's activity and inactivity. There's moments of movement and pursuit and moments of stopping and retooling so that we might get to where we're going. Red light was this moment of stopping. Okay, I see where you are. I see where everybody else is. I'm ready to go. Green light was this get going, moving, try and get where you're going. Red light, you stop, and now you reassess again. You see where I'm going. Red light, green light as a game is a great model for us and, and, and is actually what God is talking about. You have to have work. We have to step into these spaces. We've got to do the thing that God called us to do. Six days a week, we're supposed to be moving and doing things. Green light, go, keep running, keep working. Red light, stop. I'm getting ready to do a, a couple uh, weddings in, in the next few weeks. And, and, and those weddings are moments of absolute green light. Grooms, brides, parents, families, all the people have been working so hard to throw this party that they forget that at the very center the very center of a wedding is a miracle. Two people becoming one. And if we don't stop in the middle of a wedding to recognize it, then we run right by it and we miss it. And next thing you know, we're dancing and everybody's like, this was awesome. It was good, but it wasn't holy. Hear these words from Abraham Heschel again. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. 
The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world, and on the seventh day, we should dominate ourselves. God rested from the work of creation, but not from the work of relationship. Our problem is that we have this sense of our rest days backwards. The the day of rest is not created as a break from our work, but as a pinnacle of living. We don't rest so that we can work. We work so that we might enjoy deep and holy rest. The, The depth of our holy rest is experience that is created by how we behave on the other six days. God does really good work, but does better rest, and so should we. That is what we have been invited to, into this space of resting with the Holy One. And yet we give it up for an hour or or a half hour. Remember, holy time is not just a gift to creation. It is the substance of how we are to relate to God, one another, and the world around us. Practically speaking, how many of us prepared for this moment of rest right now? This, this moment, this, this moment that you and I are in is the de facto, the, the default Sabbath moment. Did you prepare well for it or did you wake up, get ready and walk into it and go, well, this is going to happen to me today? Did you prepare well? Did you pray well? Did you walk with Jesus? Did you know Jesus before you sung about Jesus this morning? I'm not being pointed. I'm pointing at me. Did you spend time this week? Are you bringing in something or are you coming in to get something? Did you prepare by the way you spent time with God this week? Did you prepare by the way you used the objects around you? Did you prepare by the way that you treated others this week? Did you behave the way God would have you? Did you obey? Did you love? I I say this not not as a chastisement, but as a way to lift up a hope, an ideal, that we've got to step out of the, of the cultural status quo so that we might become what God wants us to be. When practicing Jews begin their Sabbath, it's begun at home. On Friday night, with a prayer over wine, I like that part. This blessing over the wine is, is so good, but, but even more, it's a blessing over the time. It's a reminder of God as well as a path toward God's current place of rest. It's a blessing. It's a moment. And I hope that this is as well. See, we 
have to use this as that moment, a blessing of time. Because the elements of worship, this service that we are doing, that we have, have done, this praise, this prayer, this confession, this silence, this expression of baptism, this offering, this, this blessing people with a good word, in here is what we get to do, what we should have been already doing out there. We as American Protestants are really bad at this. We need to practice kingdom more. We need to practice Sabbath more. We need to practice the engagement of God's spirit so that we can be led into holiness more. We need to stop more red light. Stopping allows us to acknowledge that God is the creator and provider of all things. Red light. Intentionally step into holy time and you may find the rest that you have been created for. Beware of anything 